0: The following audio is from Gold Country Baptist Church in Shingle Springs, California. Visit gcb.church to find more resources and to learn about our church. Amen. If you would please take God's word and turn to Psalm 139. Psalm 139. We looked at this passage, the first half of it last week. We saw that God is all-knowing and all-present. He's omniscient. He is omnipresent. And this week we're going to pick up with our infinite and intimate God. Verses 1-12 through say His knowledge and presence is infinite. Verse 3 says He's intimately acquainted with all of our ways. I know the story of a young mom going to the mission field decades ago with four little kids, a lot of uncertainty in the future, her life was going to change for most of the rest of her life, fears there, a faraway land ahead of her, and Psalm 139 comforted her, that everything is known to a God who cares, and a God who controls And a God who causes all things to work together for the good of those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. And that works all things together for His glory. He knows our thoughts from afar. And as she was flying across the ocean there, looking out at the wings of her plane as the sun was coming up, she looked at these words in Psalm 139, verse 9. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. That was my mom. And I am so thankful for her and for this psalm and and really all that she went through for me. And what this section of the psalm is going to talk about is what God did in our lives and what all of our mothers went through for us, but ultimately what God was doing for us. Psalm 139, verse 13. David says to God, For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret. Intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O oh God. How vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake. And I am still with you. David wrote the psalm to praise our God who is infinite and intimate. His, his presence is infinite as he says. He's still with you. He's always with you every time you wake up. Wherever you go. His, his knowledge is, is infinite. His precious thoughts are so vast. More numerable than the, the sand. He's infinite, but He's also Intimate. Intimately involved. And even in those thoughts, they're precious thoughts to me. Thoughts of me and intimate details of days he's formed for me in a book. Like an intimate diary. He's infinitely big to fill the heavens and the earth. But he's also intimately involved with the littlest parts of the littlest life. This is our God. This God who's infinite in the world is also intimate in the womb. And that's what we see in these verses here. The little ones are precious in his mind. Jesus loves the little children of the womb. And I remember first studying this passage in depth 20 some years ago when my first child was being knit together in the womb. It was for a seminary paper at the time that that semester, I had to pick a passage where I would labor in the Hebrew text, and I chose this passage while my wife was in her second and third trimester preparing for the real labor of childbirth, and I just remember it made such a wonderful impact on me to be living in this passage while there was a life living and growing, while Ella was being fearfully and wonderfully made. And I I finished the term paper on these verses in the months leading up to Jamie going to term. And part of my assignment was I needed to teach on this section, which I did when she was at nine months. And I remember while I was teaching, I just kept kind of looking over there. Every time she'd move, make sure she wasn't going into labor and that we'd have to leave early. But this has always been a special passage for me about God's special care for all of our lives from the beginning. And, and I remember before I went through all that, couples from our church would show us pictures of their of their ultrasound. It took us a while to get pregnant. People were it just seemed like they were getting pregnant all the time. And sometimes they'd show these pictures, and I would just kind of smile, but I really had no idea what I was looking at. Uh-huh. I was clueless. Uh, literally, people said the word placenta, and I thought they were talking about a city in California. I, a, I had a whole new vocabulary to, to learn, but I remember the first time I saw the, the miracle of life on an ultrasound. It was one of the most amazing moments ever. Seeing that sonogram, seeing that sweet little baby moving in that most secret place, seeing those little soccer kicks, hearing the sound of a heartbeat. Seeing those side angle pictures that we put on our fridge, and I, I now knew what that was. That was one of the most emotionally, mo- that whole experience, one of the most emotionally moving moments of my life, and infinitely more multiplied for all of you moms here, knowing that inside and out. Long before technology, though, could imagine any of those things, Psalm 139 gives us a scriptural sonogram. This gives us an inside peek at pregnancy from God's perspective. You might call this the ultimate ultrasound of God's Word. This is a, an intimate picture of how He is intricately weaving us in the womb, how He's, he's taking all these things and He's wonderfully and fearfully making us and, and all these things that He's doing for us before we were even born. He's knitting us. He, he knows us before we were formed. And this should move us emotionally. To praise our infinite Lord and to see infant life in the womb as he does and to help others too as well. And so our, our outline here, if we can pull it up on the slide, is number one, God has intimate care for unborn life. We'll see that in verses 13 through 15. God is infinite Over all life, verses 16 through 18, his intimate care, his infinite overall life, and then we'll look at some implications for us in our life and defending life. But starting first in that first section, verse 13, where you formed, he says, my inward parts, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you. And so the context here is praise by David. And the heading, which is part of the ancient text, said he wrote this for their corporate worship They were to sing and and celebrate life starting in the mother's womb and and in the Hebrew poetic structure. Remember as I was studying this, these these verses 13-15 through are the the apex. There's the the climax. And then within this section here, the the grammar and the word order is putting great emphasis on these first two words and even adds another emphatic pronoun. You formed. This is about God. You. You are the one who was doing all that. You formed God. Me and, and even some of the words he uses, he may be using language from Job that was written many years earlier. Job said this, Your hands have made me and fashioned me an in intricate unity. You clothe me with skin and flesh and you knit me together with bones and sinews. You grant me life and favor. Your care has Preserve, speaking there of God's care, and he says all that until you brought me out of the womb. This is what God has been doing, and he revealed that to Job even 4,000 years ago. This is what God is is doing long before we even know any of these things. And and he says God is the one who grants life. He, He cares for it deeply inside every mommy. He knits together skin and sinews. It's like he's, he's sewing onto this structure, is the, is the language of this intricate unity in the womb. And one translation of what Job says says, You gave me life, and you showed me kindness, and in your providence, you watched over. That's what God was doing the whole time. He gave us life, He, he showed us kindness throughout that process. His providence was watching over every detail of, of that whole process. God's Word speaks of life that He gives to the unborn. His providential care and and kindness. And Job, this is in Job 10, goes on to ask why he didn't die at birth, which is another statement of life before birth in the womb. David says in another psalm, From my mother's womb you have cared for me. And God tells His prophet Jeremiah, In the womb I Knew you. That's the word of an, of an intimate knowing and a relationship. Life and love. The Lord had his hand upon Jeremiah. That's Jeremiah 1 5. But here in verse 13, God forms inward parts. That, that word is translated heart in other places metaphorically. But medically, we know the, the heart, the actual organ, Begins to be formed at 16 days after conception. And then six days later, that heart is beating. Three, days and one, three weeks and one day is when there's a heartbeat. Often before the mother knows she's pregnant, that heart is beating. And God is forming the heart and he's forming all of the inward parts. Modern science also tells us in that first month, the brain is forming... By weeks four and five, organs like the liver and the kidneys are forming. And actually, this word here for inward parts is, is sometimes translated literally as kidneys in particular. I remember years ago, Bob Johnston, after he had a kidney transplant and the Lord preserved his life, he was teaching on this passage here on a Sunday night, Psalm 139. I remember this part. It was so moving to hear him talk about how God has care for that very little part inside of us, the the kidney. He he cares for life. He preserves life to the littlest parts. Here's what a doctor named Paul Rockwell, a medical doctor, told a story many years ago, first seeing those tiny parts after a very early ruptured tubal pregnancy. If you don't know what that is, the... The baby isn't able to survive, but in this case, it was just six weeks or so along, and the embryo sac was was intact. He said it was transparent. He'd never seen this before. Within that sac was a tiny, approximately one centimeter, less than one half inch, human male that was alive, and he says it was swimming extremely vigorously in the amniotic fluid. And he was looking at this. He said it was perfectly developed with long, tapering fingers and, and feet and toes. It was almost transparent as regards to the skin and the delicate arteries and veins were prominent to the ends of the fingers. He says the baby was extremely alive and swam about the sack approximately one time every second, he says, with a natural swimmer's stroke. He showed this to his colleagues. And Others have taken pictures of that since then. He says, This tiny human did not look at all like the photos and drawings and models of embryos which I have seen. He says, Obviously because this one was alive. The Lord did that. The Lord, even at that earliest stage, is fearfully and wonderfully making that little life. And and I'll, I'll put links to that with some of the pictures in the footnotes online at Sermon Audio. I'll, I'll post these this week. But God is the great physician. In verse 13, He's the one who is forming our, our tiniest insides. He is the original prenatal intensive care person. And the, the verb here of knitting is, is in the imperfect tense. I mean, this is continually, not just at one point, He's continually doing this throughout there's constant care and it's close and personal. And, and the language of knitting or cross stitching or, or, or putting together is, is a beautiful image. These tendons, these muscles, these bones, these ligaments, the internal systems, all of them are being sewed together according to his master design and, and the detailed eye of God as he is bringing out his, his tapestry, or we could say his masterpiece. People talk about the miracle of life. There's miracles of life all along the way. You can see this video by David Menton, a doctor who talks about all the miracles throughout the process. It's not just the miracle of life. It's miracles. It's an amazing thing to study. And I don't know much about knitting or sewing. But I, I do know this. You need light to do that well. You need to have light. What this is saying, and what's amazing to David, is God's doing His most incredible, precision work in the darkest place that never sees light. And that fits with the end of verse 12 right before this because he says, Darkness and light are alike to God. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in in that place, in the womb. Any surgeon who's going to work is going to need lights, but the best surgeon with the best light cannot stitch together like God does in the dark. And look at verse 15. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven. That's another sewing word. And the the depths of the earth Maybe a poetic way to describe the deep darkness of the womb. Or or a figure of speech for the most secret hidden place from human eyes. Or or maybe, as one pastor suggests, when priceless treasures in ancient history of Israel were put in a place of safety, they were usually buried, tucked away in, in a dark place, away from peering eyes and greedy minds. And he says, so it is with the treasured work of God. As he works, so you think of other psalms that say, "Your word I have hidden in my heart." It's a similar idea. I've I've treasured. This is a, this is a, a, a treasure. Or you could think also of a sculptor or an artist and how they work in private before they bring this master work or this work of art, and they bring it out in in public when it's when it's done, when it's ready, and we are his workmanship. And there is no architect in the world who can match this architect, this divine architect in the womb. He's building. He's constructing. He's fearfully and wonderfully making. And that word frame is a picture for how He frames us and builds us. He builds the the bones or the the bony framework can be the idea. And it's on that frame, as He gets that frame set that he's, He's... He's intricately weaving. And again, this is poetic language, but listen to this image there. It's a word for embroidering with fabric. The ancient Jews, their ears would have tuned up with these words. They were very familiar with and famous for their beautiful needlework and their intensely detailed work of weaving and and dyeing various colors. And they bring them all together to, to make this beautiful composite whole, they would interlace, they'd intertwine, interweave all of these things. You think of Joseph's multicolored robe, which spoke of value and love, or or this word was also used of what they would construct for the tabernacle, that most special place of worship, the curtains, as well as the, the priestly robes. They were they were woven together in such a detailed way, and they would even put precious Valuable stones in that breastplate of the of the priestly garments, so they would stand out from other creations. And, and this is the word in verse fifteen that was used of those who skillfully wo- wove those tabernacle curtains. And there was designs of the of the cherubim, and even these images like the like the Garden of Eden of of life that they would design. This is the the word that would be used of the master weaver, he would shuttle these colorful threads. Indigo blue was what they would use for cotton or, or red for wool. They would make these ribbons and, and, and threads. You remember the scarlet thread in, in the story in Genesis that they tied around the, the, the wrist of the baby that was being born. And some of the Hebrew scholars say that verse 15, when it talks about these these woven things, that it may be alluding to the veins and the arteries that are all weaving throughout the human body like colored threads. Or as one said, the variegated color of the inward parts or, or the colors of the outline following that undeveloped beginning and the forming of the, of the members. There was an ancient Jewish writing called the Talmud that used a very similar word to this for... For the egg of a reptile or a bird, when when the outlines of of the developed embryo are are visible inside it, I, there was, I've I've seen a mature egg before, opening it up, and you can see even those forming veins and and arteries. This is also an image. This embroidery was an image of all, all this put together. was great value. It was incredibly expensive to have something like that done for you. And this language here is speaking to the inestimable, incredible worth of human life as God is forming it, a masterpiece greater than anyone could ever come up with. And it's growing and and living. It's His priceless handiwork. And again, there's poetic language here, but even this very language used here, modern science cannot improve on what was written 3,000 years ago, or Job 4,000 years ago. Here's what one scientist explains. With the development of the microscope in the latter half of the 17th century, it became evident that the cellular and extracellular components of organs and tissues are often woven in complex ways. And the dermis of the skin, connective tissues, fibers, made of the protein, collagen, are woven together in a highly complex way. Manner similar to a cloth fabric. In the 1950s, Crick and Watson did, published papers about DNA and, and what they had discovered about it, and, and they they use some similar language for the fabric of life, like these two ribbons that are interweaving of genetic material, being being woven together with incredible detail and, and coding. 2002 cover story in Time Magazine, What Scientists Know About the First Nine Months. And the cover article said this, we know so much about what goes on inside of the womb by the remarkable progress researchers have made. So this is now the 21st century. Scientists can now describe many of the steps involved in building a human and The sculpting of a four-chambered heart. And listen to this. The weaving together of trillions of neural connections. They've discovered now that throughout our body, there's this weaving together of all of these connections. They've discovered we're weaved together like Psalm 139, verse 15 says. God has been weaving us together. How should we respond? Like verse 14 I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. The more we learn about this, the more we should be lost in wonder, love, and praise. Awe and wonder. Fearfully and wonderfully, the idea of, of awe. We even use that language sometimes. That person is scary good. God is scary good at how He makes human beings. We're fearfully, wonderfully made. And there's several literary devices that, that make this very emphatic. The, the verbs three in a row are passive. And what that does is it emphasizes this is God's doing. Yes, there's the biology reality here, but ultimately it's God is the one who needs to be doing all these things. And, and His wonderful works should make us worshipful. And they should make us fearful In the sense of awe. I mean, those of you that have been in a delivery room, isn't there just a sense of awe and a hush as you realize this is something different than anything else we experience. This is God doing this. I remember even trembling the first time I witnessed that, marveling at the miracle of life that. Life, a human being that's been formed all this way has now come out wonderfully made. It can even have the idea of uniquely made. Or the ESV footnote has, I am fearfully set apart. There's ways that we're uniquely made, even those who are identical twins. And so when we think of being set apart or uniquely made, that's what we mean by the sanctity. Of human life. It's set apart from all other life because it's made in the image of God. The world would say that we are evolved animals. The Word of God says we are the special creation of God for His glory. And that's why we need to speak differently about life. We're not to curse life, James 3 says, that's been made in the image of God or, or take that life. Because human life has dignity and value and worth. Whatever age, whatever stage, whatever size, it doesn't matter, whatever ability or disability, we are all beautifully, intricately, and fearfully and wonderfully made by a loving God. That's His intimate care. For unborn life. But that takes us to a second point. God is infinite over all of life. Verse 16. Look at it. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them. The days that were formed for me. When as yet there was none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts. Oh God, how vast is the sum of them. These are infinite thoughts of me and infinite sovereignty. All, all of the days of all of our lives in a book. When he says God saw, that means he oversaw. He superintended. God saw it before dad saw a twinkle in his wife's eye. And before that mother ever had thoughts of this precious child forming inside of her, God had precious thoughts toward this child. That's the language. Precious are your thoughts toward me. And and what did God see? My unformed substance. The Hebrew lexicons say that that means embryo. This is the word for embryo in Hebrew. Before our embryo even forms, when it's in its smallest stage, Remember that doctor is talking about that, that little embryo. Even before it develops and grows and, and gets even bigger, we are seen, we are superintended by the Lord. I mentioned Jeremiah 1, five earlier, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. You—that's That's you and you were a person in that earliest stage, that, that smallest person possible. Before it's even forming and, and getting bigger, God says, I knew you. This is you, personal pronouns of that little person. And the idea there is, I infinitely knew you. And that, that context could even be his special care for and plan for Jeremiah's life. But, but God sees... All life at that stage, and from embryo to end of life, our unformed past to our unknown future, God has infinite oversight. What are some of the things he sees and oversees just in those first few weeks as the embryo starts to form? Weeks five and six, eye pigment and the retina are starting to form. Pain receptors Are starting to develop. Brain waves in the developing human brain can be detected as early as six weeks, two days after fertilization. During weeks seven and eight, if that embryo were to be touched, there there might be squinting or jaw movement, opening its mouth or, or squinting back. During weeks eight and nine, the baby can suck her thumb, can grasp an object. The baby has nerve receptors in the face and the hands and the feet, allowing him or her to sense and respond to light touch. God oversees the embryo. I believe the medical definition of an embryo goes to about eight weeks. But all of that, in all of life, God oversees, God has a plan written for all its days in a book. It's an amazing thing that part of His plan, sometimes those embryos can actually get adopted and, and can get brought into a, a a family that might not be able to get pregnant themselves. An unfertilized life from another can be implanted you know in another's womb and can be formed and born and, and we, we've had that happen even in our own church here. A fearful, wonderful, precious thought to me is thinking of how ruby peppers came into the lives of Lisa and Jared, and, and it's a, it's, a it's, it's it's an infinite thought. It blows my mind, and to think that God wrote that story and all of our stories in a book. We all have different stories as to how we got here, but I I was counting sixteen different people who have been adopted into families here, part of their story that's also in his book. I think of the Talitha Glenn just a few weeks ago, who God preserved that. Life and has brought that into the family in our church. And we want to keep praying for them as well. But also God has brought all of us into our families and into this church family in different ways. And this, this is an amazing thought. He, he had those days written in a book before there was even one of them. And so he says, how, how precious to me are your thoughts. How vast is the sum of them. How vast. They're, they're uncountable and more than the sand. And you know, a grain of sand, I'm told, is, is the, the size of that very earliest life when it's just before it's even formed, preformed. That's where that life begins with that size. David, David says, if I could count your thoughts, they would outnumber the sand, but even having that thought that we know that we were once that size, and I love how verse 18 ends. Every day he wakes up, and he is still with God. This is uncountable and unending care. He doesn't just know the future. He has a plan for every embryo, for every day of, a, of adulthood. Verse 16 says, He forms our days for us. And he has a book written with every one of our days beforehand. I think this is different than the the book of life, the book of the elect who have been chosen before the foundation of the world. This seems to be speaking of God's sovereignty of all life, including those who don't acknowledge him. He is sovereign over all the details of their life. He's he's formed our days. And he has this book written with with every one of them. This is the, the word that was used when God formed Adam He he personally, in a different way than the rest of creation, formed Adam from the dust. This is the word. God's formed our days in that sense. It's it's the word that was used of a potter who would would design and and fashion things. Our days, all of them have been formed. They've been fashioned. They've been designed with a plan. They've been molded by the potter. The potter is far wiser than the clay. It's hard to even comprehend these things because we're the clay, he's the potter. But all of our lives... Are ordained. Some of your translations say they're ordered by His infinite wisdom. Some of you know the the line of the old hymn: "How how sweet it is to hold a newborn baby." Remember, first holding a baby, it just it's just barely bigger than your hand. You can even hold it in your hand that hold that newborn baby and feel the joy he gives but greater still the calm assurance that this child can face uncertain days because what he lives because he lives i can face tomorrow and all fear is gone because i know that he god holds the future that's what gives us that calm assurance that fear can be gone to know that this god Who's had his hand on us the whole way? He holds the future in his hand. We don't know what the future holds, but he holds the future. And there is infinite comfort in a God who has infinite control over all things. We have a big and a sovereign God, amen? And this God says in Isaiah 46, I make known the end from the beginning, from ancient times, what is still to come. I say, My purpose will stand, and I will do all that I please. And he says in in Isaiah 46 also, You whom I have upheld since you were conceived. I upheld you since you were conceived, God says. I've carried you since your birth. He says, even to your old age and gray hairs, I am with you. I am He who will sustain you. I see a lot of gray hairs here, which is a wonderful thing. But know this wonderful truth. God is going to sustain you. He's been sustaining you since you were this small, and He is going to sustain you to the end. This same God whose hand holds all of life from the womb to the tomb, from our conception to our conclusion. Isaiah 44:2 Thus says the Lord who made you, who formed you from the womb, and will help you. Fear not. He says, don't be afraid. I I formed you from the womb. I've been helping you and I will help you. So don't be afraid. Don't fear. The the infinite God who helps all life and unborn life, He's going to help you to the end of life. Don't fear. He is with you always. He's sovereign over life. He's the source of life. And He's the sustainer and upholder of all life. And that brings us thirdly and finally by way of application to this this has implications for us in our lives this has implication for us defending life because we see these things in the word but we also see in the world not everyone values life life needs defending as he's going to say here from wicked people who take the precious Lifeblood of the defenseless. Psalm 139 doesn't end here. It calls God to bring an end to men who bring life to an end. Look at verse 19. Look at this. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, oh God. Oh, men of blood, depart from me. This always kind of struck me as seeming out of place. Doesn't it? sound kind of jarring after all that we've just read here. You know what? This should jar us in the context of of babies that he's been talking about. The most vulnerable life. To think of bloodshed by wicked men. It's more jarring to stop a beating heart that makes blood flow through veins that God knit together. You guys want me to try the microphone here? All right. (laughs) Thank you. If this verse seems out of place, there's nothing more out of place than those who would shed innocent blood. Some of the translations here have bloodthirsty men or murderers. And here's how the King James translates it as something that God will surely do. Surely thou wilt slay the wicked. O God, depart from me, therefore ye bloody men. We don't have time today to to really do justice to the imprecations in the psalms, these imprecatory psalms, but one of the implications of this psalm is we, we do need to cry out for justice and in this context for the defenseless life of this psalm. We're not to slay abortionists, but it is biblical to pray to God to stop their bloodshed. David knew Genesis 9-6 that, that calls for men of blood to face justice. Those who would shed the blood of others made in God's image. And that's what David is calling God to his word here. David's not taking this matter in his own hands, but he's taking it to the Lord in prayer And that men of blood, that cross-reference, can apply to the context of Psalm 139 and unborn children. But notice in the end of verse 20, they're God's enemies. They're taking his name in vain. And there are many who did that then and now. There's many who profess his name who are pro-abortion. They claim God, but they reject what God creates. Catholic, but also Protestant politicians and many self-identifying Christians who are taking the Lord's name in vain when they argue that taking away life that the Lord is fearfully and wonderfully making for his name's sake, that that should be done or that should be a choice. And I think there's a parallel with Israel in Psalm 106. Israel is God's people professing his name, but David says in Psalm 106 they or the author of Psalm 106 says, They shed innocent blood, the blood of their sons and daughters whom they sacrificed to the idols of Canaan, and the land was polluted with blood. Thus they were defiled. Therefore the wrath of the Lord was kindled against His people. They they were bringing their, their children even to be sacrificed before the idols of Canaan. But there's also idols of career and comfort and idols of control over our own body. 1 Corinthians 6 says the body is for the Lord. And it says you are not your own. Glorify God in your body. And 1 Corinthians 7 says we don't even ultimately have authority over our own body. It's the Lord's, but also we belong to our spouse or to our future spouse. But here, just look at Psalm 139. This isn't just part of a woman's body or just something that her body does. In verse 13, God is forming the inward parts of another body now. A second person, he says, me. You formed me. You knit me together. It doesn't say he's forming the mother's inward parts. These aren't just like an appendix or a tumor or a part of her body that she can just choose if she wants to remove it. David says, That's, that was me. That was my inward parts in my mother's womb. You knit me together. Me and my are personal pronouns. It's a new person being knit together inside another person's wombs. You don't give personal pronouns to a tissue. But a tiny baby is a hymn or a her, scripturally as well as scientifically. This inspired text uses the Hebrew first person 11 times, me or my, in just verses 13 through 16, 11 times for David's preborn person. That was me that you were knitting in my mother's womb. And Isaiah tells us, The Lord called me from the womb, from the body of my mother. He named My name. He was a distinct person in his mother's body with a personal name. And and science and biology and genetics has has shown that there's already a distinct person there from the earliest time. This is not just her body, her choice. In that same chapter, Isaiah 49, 5, The Lord says, He who formed me from the womb to be his servant, for I am honored in the eyes of the Lord. We need to see as the Lord does. And we need to honor life being formed in the womb by the Lord. It's about his choice. It's about his calling. We're not to play God. There's over 20 times that the Bible describes a pregnant woman with this phrase, with child. Mary was with child. Rebecca Was with child. Hannah was with child. And even from the earliest moments, the the Lord Himself, through His angels and messengers, announces that they are with child. Even shortly after conception, Tamar in her first trimester, apparently even sooner with Bathsheba. Hagar conceives and, and flees from Sarah as soon as she finds out she's pregnant. And the Lord says to her, You are with child, a son. And then he uses personal pronouns the Lord does of this little one, probably just weeks along, he or his five times, speaking of what would come of this son, this child in genesis twenty five Rebecca is pregnant with twins, and it uses the plural word for for person to talk about people inside of her and it says this the the children struggled within her this This is the same plural form of the word for child that's used throughout the old Testament of of a child after it's born. There weren't two different words for, for children. It's the same word for child used whether they're in the womb or outside the womb. The same David who wrote Psalm 139 wrote in Psalm 51, My mother conceived me. Right before he uses this word for inward parts that he uses here in verse 13. Job 3, verse 3, A boy is conceived... Literally, a man-child is conceived. And God told Samson's mom she would conceive a son. You're going to conceive a son. And he says the child is going to be a Nazarite from your womb. I think it's three different times it says Samson was a Nazarite from his mother's womb. His mother's womb, he was already this child from the womb. Not cells a son, not a blob, a baby, not not a choice, a child, not a a tissue, a a tiny person. And we need more than changed laws. We need changed hearts. And we need to pray for that and, and save souls. We had a Sunday school class this morning where we talked about some of that, and I recorded it. I'll, I'll post that this week where you can listen to some great examples of, of Ray Comfort sharing some of these truths, to the open eyes, but also sharing the gospel. Psalm 51 says, In sin I was conceived. David was, was a sinner, but people think about, well, what about when there's conception by the sin of incest, which we do see in Scripture? In Genesis 19, Lot's daughters are impregnated by him, and in Genesis 38, after incest, Judah calls for the immortal the immoral mom and her baby to die as he finds out she's pregnant until he realized it was his sin. He was the one guilty of that with his daughter in law in that case, and he let her and the baby live, but that also was against God's law of incest with with in-laws. Genesis 19, though, we know the story that led to Moab, the Moabites. Remember, it was the Moabites who, through Ruth, became the the line of of Messiah. And the Genesis 38 story with with Judah, Judah and his daughter-in-law Tamar was also in that line. And, in fact, Judah's line was threatened. He had no... Other male heir. There were promises that through Judah's line the Messiah would come, but his his heirs have all died, and and now he's preg- his, his daughter in law is pregnant with his own child. But what was sinful, God used for good. That baby that was saved became an ancestor of the Savior. And so, if incest calls for abortion, the line of Jesus dies out, and and we don't have this Savior who comes, who we can call on his name to be saved. But God, you see, can bring good out of bad situations. And by the way, the family tree of Jesus also had an unwed mother in it and a prostitute also that God used to keep that line alive. And he names their names in the beginning of the New Testament to highlight his grace. People say, what about birth defects? What about disabilities? Jesus was confronted with a question about a man who had been born blind and whether it was his parent, the parent's fault or this, uh, how to explain all that. And Jesus said this is for God's glory, that God's works would be done through him. And, and God tells Moses that, that he, God alone, is the one who has control and determines abilities and inabilities. We also recognize we're in a, a cursed, sinful world that's different than the original world. But God is sovereign over that. And God also tells Moses that those who cause abortions, even accidentally... Are to be executed in His law. That's in Exodus. We'll see that in our study of Exodus. But people ask, "What about rape? What about the horrible sin of a father? Shouldn't that be where the the death of the child is called for?" God's law also anticipated that in Deuteronomy sixteen fourteen, and it commands a child is not to be put to death for the sin of its father. This is God's law, but we need to also speak of God's grace. God's grace provides with adoption. God's grace provides care for people who are in very difficult and oppressive situations. And and many of the people who are contemplating this have been deceived by the world, by the lies, the, the father of lies who's the murderer from the beginning, the and, and, and they, they need help, and, and churches need to be a, a safe place, and we as God's people need to be those who will come alongside and, and walk alongside those. And, and even if they've made a, a horrible choice to continue to care for them like, like God cared for women, like Hagar when, when she went away with her pregnancy, for, and, and God cared for her, and she said, you are the God who sees me. God came and appeared to her in a special way to Hagar with her son, And that's God's care, and we need to have God's care. But I want to give you a couple of resources that may be helpful for you. And and one is a book that just came out this year called Choose Life. It's Moody Press 2022. Choose Life, Answering Claims of Abortion Defenders with Compassion. If I could recommend one book that covers all the gamut of the pro-life movement, and it's written by, by people who have walked down the road of, of abortions they've had, and, 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 and one of the writers was, was in, in, of that chapter was the product of a failed abortion, and, and she survived, or, or others who uh, were conceived by rape, or, or other, those other situations, and they're writing these chapters, but also medical doctors and nurses answering the, the arguments from their expertise, from all different aspects. of So, Choose Life, Answering Claims of Abortion Defenders with Compassion. 20 different authors. The, the foreword is by Alveda King. You may know her as Martin Luther King's niece, I believe. But Pregnancy Counseling Service is here closer to home in, in Placerville. They're going to have that table at the back after the service. I know Judy would, would love to talk to you about their ministry and what we can do to pray or in other ways support them. But we need to understand opposition is growing to all of these things. I was just at Emmanuel Baptist in Sacramento earlier this month and I noticed their door had been smashed in and boarded up and they explained that was a a gift to them after the recent Supreme Court ruling someone just drove by and was angry and threw a brick smashed through their door and so they had it boarded up as they were repairing it there's a lot of pro-life ministries and and centers who are facing opposition even not just vandalism but death threats in some cases for those who would be pro-life. And so this is an issue. We need to be better equipped, understanding what God's Word says, but also equipped with how to relate to people in this. And I know there are some in this room who were counseled to get an abortion and, and didn't. There's some sitting in this room who the world and medical professionals actually encourage them to get abortions and and you're here i think there's one maybe who survived an abortion and i know there's a number here who have had an abortion i also know there's there's many more here who have committed murder in their heart but we need to praise the lord his mercy is more amen his mercy is bigger and greater than all of that and it can change us and there is true and real forgiveness in Christ. No matter what we've done. Because the one who's writing this psalm was a murderer. And he saw his own son die as a result of his sin. But he was forgiven. He was repentant. He, he had restored unto him the joy of his salvation. But notice how he ends Psalm 139. Lead me in the everlasting way. Lead me in the way everlasting. Jesus is that way. He is the truth. He is the life. He is the way to the Father. We couldn't get up to God by our own works, but the infinite God became an infant. Can you believe that? In the incarnation, infinite God the Son becomes an infant the one who fills heaven and earth became this size. He became a tiny embryo at one time. And it was a difficult pregnancy and situation to try to understand in their community. Joseph wanted to put her away in her pregnancy. but We praise the Lord for his birth. And Jesus came for our rebirth. Jesus came that we might be born again. He said, Satan comes to kill and destroy. But he says, I have come that you might have life, that you might have it abundantly and eternally. And Jesus was murdered, wasn't he, on the cross? But he rose, and he receives all who come to him in repentant faith. And he says, let the little children come. This is our Lord. This is our hope. If we have Christ... That even though we were once in the darkness, that he brought us to himself. And we need to pray, God, help me to help someone else who is in the darkness. To help them understand life and and eternal life in Christ. So I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray for God's help to help us. Our great and gracious God, we thank you that you are the infinite and intimate God. We thank you that you sent your son for our sin. That there is forgiveness in him, free and full. There is cleansing of all unrighteousness. But I pray, Lord, that you would help us to think your thoughts after you. And that you would help us to think rightly of the lives among us, Lord. We praise you for babies even now being fearfully and wonderfully made in our midst. And we pray, Lord, for... For more, and even that you would bring more into our midst, whether it's through adoption or other means, we thank you for these children and the gift and blessing they are from you. We pray these things in the name of Christ. Amen.